0: night protection services for making this podcast possible and all the support they provide our cause hey guys welcome to another episode of surviving to thriving today i have with me kevin strauss he believes people yearn to feel closer to those who matter to us most because that is what drives our happiness kevin is the founder and ceo of uchi a social app dedicated to helping people connect authentically by making conversations easy and fun Kevin is an expert problem solver and has earned 75-plus patents and 10-plus publications in spine, psychology, infection control, and human behavior. When not working, Kevin enjoys expedition backpacking, ballroom dancing, and is a 19-year injury-free Ironman triathlete and coach. Kevin, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Heather. I'm glad to be here.
0: Definitely. Now that was a huge bio. Is there anything else that you want our audience to know about you?
1: I mean, that really kind of touched on a little bit of everything, including some of my personal interests. So, you know, if that resonates with anyone and they want to talk more about it, um, I'm happy to, to hear, you know, their world. Awesome. Well,
0: let's just get right into it and uh, we'll start, you know, what was high school, middle school age growing up for you? What was that like?
1: I mean, overall, I had a pretty darn good childhood, you know, grew up in, you know, upper middle class suburbs of Washington, D.C. And, you know, good family life, no major, none of the aces, you know, that you might hear about, you know, adverse childhood events or none that I'm really aware of. Um, So it was pretty good. But then at the same time, you know, I had the, the typical, you know, challenges with, you know some bullying, being bullied, being a bully to other people, you know, but the general kind of stuff. And growing up in a family that was very loving and supportive, but at the same time, very critical and judgmental. I think that is what had the greatest impression on me. Um, And that started, you know, when I was born, basically. So, yeah, so that's what childhood was, you know, it was great, school was good, public school system and activities and, You know, whenever I tried out for something, I was usually the last person cut, so I didn't make the team. I think that had an impression on me. And just really my interaction with other people and and myself. So I, I often ask myself the question, who do I want to be? You know, why do I do what I do? Why do other people do what they do? And that's something that I've asked myself really since I was like 16 or 17 years old throughout my life. And, you know, I'm in my early fifties now. So I've been doing that, asking that question for a long time.
0: So by judgmental and things like that, what do you, what do you mean by that? You know, because I feel like a lot of people can resonate with that, uh, you know, always trying to impress and have the stress of, you know, my parents want me to get good grades and, you know, I want me to to be the best that I can be, but that can also put a lot of stress on teenagers. So kind of, do you want to expand a little bit on that?
1: Sure. I mean, the, the judgment and criticism, again, my, my parents were very, still are very supportive, but at the same time, you know, if I get a 93 on a test, why didn't you get a hundred? You know, if I score a goal, why didn't you score three goals, you know, in the soccer game? You know, it was, it. Was, and I know that they were, I know now that they did that as like a, a way to kind of push, but, you know, push me to reach my potential. But, but as a child, I think what really wired into my brain, into my subconscious was I'm not good enough. And no matter what I did, I, I'm not good enough. I could get a, a great grade on a test and but it wasn't good enough. And if I would have done what they said, maybe I would have gotten a hundred, you know? It was always they were better than me. They knew better than me. You know, and and just repeated, I mean it's just that's just kind of how how the household was. And of course my parents are doing the best that they can do. I, I get that now, you know, but they're they're raising their children based on what they know and and that's kind of what's been handed down there's no gene for being critical you know so that's just what they knew and handed down and but on for me it's i'm not good enough and that's something i still struggle with today
0: yeah and and that is something that i think a lot of parents maybe when they look back and look at how they parented they realize it but in the moment they're like i just want the best for my kid and And it doesn't come across the way that they think it does, where it's like, well, you know, you could have done better. But if you say that over and over and over again, then you get this, you know, underlying condition, basically of your child thinking that they could always, even though, yes, you could always do better, it's not good enough, right? It's
1: never good enough, yeah. And, you know, and then what happens is, and I found this even in childhood, is then if I would fight back on something, not fight back, but like, you know say, well, I, I did my best or something like that, you know they would they would minimize my feelings, they would negate my feelings, they would tell me not to feel that way. They tell me I'm too sensitive, that you know I'm emotional. you know these and this is just part of being a human. And then you know being a boy, you know there's there's this different kind of like anything emotional, is a weakness. And that's, that's just perpetuated through society. Um, and it happens for girls too. Just, it just comes out in a slightly different way, but you know, being emotional, it, it's a ne- and it's not a negative. That's what being human is. So just not asking the right questions. And, you know, I truly believe they're, they're trying to do their best, but they don't realize that they are harming their kids in a way. And, and again, it gets minimized all the time by saying, oh, it's no big deal. Oh, that's part of growing up or, oh, you know, you don't have to be that way. Or I didn't really mean anything like that. I'm just joking around. You're, and, and I get that, but why does it have to be that way? Why do we have to joke around in a way that shames and judges our children? Why do we have to joke around in a way that minimizes their feelings or negates their feelings and that's all kids just want anyway they just want to be heard and understood and valued by their parents and when they're not it hurts and it's not a physical pain it's it's an emotional pain and then that's where i distinguish between you know physical emotional mental spiritual all the elements of well-being which we can actually get into, you know, maybe later on in in terms of surviving to thriving. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's a there's a real um, tipping point in that in that realm of wellness. So anyway, going on a bit here, but yeah, why does it have to be that way? Just because it's always been that way?
0: Yes, and, and a lot of times, you know, people or parents don't even realize that you know there's the the trauma that comes along with that joking and judging, even though like oh you know I was just being sarcastic or I was just kidding if that's a real insecurity for your child that they haven't really spoken to you about yet and now you're making fun of it it just escalates that so much more yeah
1: yeah it totally compounds it you know and and more often than not that that joking around that sarcasm that's really in this case the parents own insecurity coming out and being transferred over to the child. And then this is just what perpetuates the problem generation after generation. I mean, that's how I see it.
0: Yeah, oh, 100%. And, you know, it, it it definitely, like, you know, before we start recording, like I said, how you were, you know, loved or treated as a child, kind of, you know, mimics the type of love and treatment that you seek out in adulthood, which, if it was toxic, And, and, you know, some form of abuse, even though parents are, you know, I try my best, it's it still could be abuse, then that's, you know, what comes out in your relationships later on. So if you're always used to being put down and you're like, oh, well, that must be how my parents showed me love, then, you know, when my partner puts me down, then that's how they're showing me love.
1: Absolutely. And then you get yourself right into a toxic relationship because that's what you're familiar with.
0: Yeah. Exactly. So moving forward, and I know we could spend hours talking about childhood traumas.
1: <laughs> well, and, and the thing about that that's so interesting is that you know I, I look into the Aces all the time, and you know adverse childhood events or experiences, and now there's the urban Aces, you know. But but my issue with that whole that whole line of study, which I'm I'm all a fan of all of that, but I think it's missing a much bigger part of the population which is the part of the population that may not have one of those big childhood experiences but it's all these little ones it's the constant criticism it's the constant shaming it's i mean i've, I've seen it in my own extended family the shaming of children in front of the rest of the family yeah yeah that has a major impact on a person's emotional not mental emotional health and then that's what drives their behavior going forward.
0: Definitely. Yeah. And I had talked to somebody else previously, and uh, they were on the show, and um, you know they they were saying that you could have an instant where you know mom is you know cooking dinner, and you know even just a three, four, five year old comes up, "Mommy, can can we play?" And they're like, "No, I'm cooking right now. No, I'm busy." And that you know goes in as something that's like, "Oh, mommy doesn't love me." Where it's where it's really no, mommy does love you. She's making you food to nourish you and put you know do all of these things. But that instant of like, that child's like, this is what I need right now, for my emotional health is to play with you. That's you know like that's what I want and need. Mm -hmm. But you know, their parents are doing other things. So like, even that could be so small of a trigger, of trauma that you know something happened. So yeah, I definitely, Absolutely. you know, yeah, I agree a
1: hundred percent that it's those little, those little events like that. And you, you just don't know how the child's going to interpret it. And, and like you said, you know, the parent, of course, I really believe the parent loves the child, you know, but that's not the message that the child is getting. And that's really what's most important is what message is the child getting? And, and too often, wow, we just really overlook it. You know, there's a, there's a study that I found a long time ago when I was first digging into this whole topic and all. And basically, it was a study on how disconnected parents are from their children. And, and most people think, oh, yeah, my kids tell me everything. And, and we have a great relationship. Really? Really? Did you really tell your parents everything? You know, did you tell your parents, you know, the first time you had sex? Doubt it. Did you tell your parents the first time you got your period? Doubt it. You know, did you tell your parents the first time you masturbated? Doubt it. Right. So come on, parents, like, you know, get a touch of reality. And and the study that, that I was referring to, basically, it asked parents and, and their teen children separately if if you were at a party and you'd been drinking and you're not in any condition to drive home, you can call your parents and they will come and pick you up. Nothing will be said, there's no repercussions, you won't get in any trouble at all. Your parents will come and get you, take you home, and that's the end of it. And you never hear about it. And parents are like, Oh yeah, my parent my kids will definitely call me and, and tell me. And it was like it was like 76 I don't remember the exact number, but it was up in that range. Like 76% of parents said, oh yeah, my kid will call me. They know they can come to me for anything at any time. Guess how many kids said they would call their parents?
0: 25%.
1: (laughs) You're close. 13%. So there's a major disconnect. Yeah. You know, and and we just need to be, we just need to realize that.
0: Oh, definitely. And, And I think that we're getting into an age where, people are starting to realize that which is good you know people are starting to reflect on so. how they parent and how they were parented and you know it's not more it's it's more than just the i'll never do that you know my mom did this and i'll never do that it's really you know thinking and talking about why we shouldn't do those things not just oh that hurt my feelings when i was younger so i'm not going to do that but really understanding why did it hurt your feelings how did it affect you you know throughout your whole life and you know, was it? Yeah, it just hurt your feelings in the moment because, you know, like you disappointed, you did something wrong, and you disappointed your parents. Or was it truly that they were doing things that could have been done differently? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So and yeah. and just to um, you know, thinking about like that—that's great that parents are are you know seeing this more, looking into it more, or trying to let's just say actively parent more. Um, And and please, you know, bear in mind that I tend to overgeneralize things. So take whatever I'm saying with a little grain of salt and make your own decisions and, you know, whatever resonates with you, that's great. Or you're with your audience, but with, with the parenting, you know, quite honestly, all you need to do is look at your child's behavior or look at your own behavior, but look at your child's behavior. And if they're doing any behavior that's destructive then their emotional needs are not being met there's something no matter how small that behavior is it could be a tantrum it could be you know it could be a tattoo it could be you know coloring their hair or keeping a messy room or whatever it is if it's anything that's destructive or extremely constructive like i have to get hundred percent on this test you know that kind of thing that's a sign That is a that is the clearest sign I know of that somebody's emotional health is struggling. And, you know, if they're drinking, if they start to drink, if they're smoking, smoking, you know, weed, whatever it is. That behavior is a sign that their emotional needs are not being met.
0: Yeah, 100 percent agree with you. And we will definitely get into the types of needs that, you know, adults need the wellness and all that stuff. Um, I definitely want to get yeah. into that. Um, but let's cool. move, move move forward a little bit. You know, high school, it sounds like you kind of, you know, had good grades, you did extracurricular activities and things like that. How did that affect um, your transition into college? You know, was that an easy transition? Did you go to college? Did uh, And what was kind of that first year Out of the house and and kind of in adulthood for you.
1: Yeah, I love that question because I I don't talk about this too much. So when I was a kid, I definitely had homesick issues. You know, you know, I'd go to sleepaway camp, and that did not go well for me. You know, I would cry and cry. Even in nursery school, like going to nursery school, like I was like too soon detached from my mom. For me, whatever that why that was, I don't know exactly, but. So I go to college and you know I didn't know anybody at, at school. Actually, there were a couple people from high school that went to my same college, but you know, they were in different dorms and far away and different majors, so I wasn't really near them at all. So I go to college and I'll tell you what, those first two weeks when I didn't know anybody, and of course other people in the same situation, but it was tough. I'm like, how am I gonna do this? Like I'm freaking out, you know? Like I want to go home. I'm I'm really homesick. But after that first 2 weeks, you know, I I started going to breakfast with the guys on my hall, actually in my suite, got into classes that kept you busy, started making friends, started getting into activities, and really it just took off from there and it was it was fantastic. And you know, having the friends and having a social circle is what really just made it for me for college and then really from then on i pretty much knew that's that was a big thing i needed in my life because i had a great friend network um through high school that started back in kindergarten i mean i still have best friends today that we met in kindergarten and we still talk like a couple times a week so having that social support network was huge and once i had that in college college was great i went to a different grad school and you know, recreated the same thing. That was great and um, and just kept repeating that, you know, throughout life.
0: I think that's so key to touch on it and is that social network. There are so many people and especially in my line of work that feel so alone, that are alone. They get completely isolated from their family, their friends and the detriment that it just does to them because they don't have anybody to talk to. They don't have anybody that they think will, A, believe them or, you know, B, their, their uh, partner has turned those people against them by manipulating them into thinking that, you know, the victim is actually the abuser. Um, and, you know, it's, it's just incredible the things that a social network can do for your overall health
1: yeah I mean, absolutely and, and like you said, like you know a toxic partner can isolate you from others and it's heartbreaking. it's it's just absolutely heartbreaking and the loneliness and isolation that people feel that people feel even in their own family with a spouse and kids, you know I used to call that or I still call it the Oprah effect where years ago people would you know, oftentimes you know moms or housewives would, would go on oprah and they'd share like i feel so alone in my family and underappreciated undervalued and and it's catching up to them and they they do so much you know getting their kids raised and taking care of everything and they feel so alone and isolated and it just doesn't have to be that way when we just all we have to do is is listen and care and but it's hard to listen when you don't feel heard and valued. So then it becomes this like negative spiral, but anyone who can reach out and just find someone to start a friendship, not just people that will listen to you like counselors and therapists and things like that, which is obviously important, but for different reasons, we need that social, that pure social connection. That's, a, that's as basic a human need as, as air and water and food.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, and even, you know, in this time period that we're in, it's one, you know, it's exacerbated the loneliness of domestic violence victims, but also just of people who are normal, you know, air quotes, normal, you know, it's It's it's
1: huge.
0: If you or anyone you know has been victimized by domestic violence, please reach out to us for resources and ways our organization can help you. You can find us on social media at 2ThrivingATL, to ATL, or online at
1: 2thriving.org.